Take a walk down the average high street anywhere in the UK at the moment and you can see the damage coronavirus is doing to towns, communities and businesses. But even before Rona came along, there had been a steady decline in the high street. Supermarkets, out-of-town retail parks, and new gleaming glass-facaded multi-million pound cathedrals to retail had taken their toll. Then online retail waded in as well, and all that coupled with high overheads for rent, business rates, staffing, etc. And it's a wonder anyone is still going. Most high streets nowadays look identicate, homogenous, like a Scooby-Doo chase scene. Starbucks, Primark, Superdrug, Starbucks, Primark, Superdrug, you get the idea. They're not places you really want to go, they're more places you endure. There have been moves to protect and promote independent traders, with governments and councils trying various schemes and incentives, including business rate relief and deals with developers, cafe quarters, cultural sectors and so on, all with certain degrees of success. But what if you could start from scratch? What would that look like? And where would you start? I'm Alex Feeney, and you're listening to the Accidental Startup Podcast, and I'm going to introduce you to, among others, Simon Baston. He runs a company called Loftco, which specializes in bringing old buildings back into use with a modern twist. Recently, they opened their newest development called Goodsheds in Barry in South Wales. It's an old railway goodshed hence the name, and warehouse with a shipping container village plonked in between them. The renovation is attractive, creative and distinctive using quirky features like railway carriages you can stay in, sleepers and a food court. But right off the bat, there's a problem. In fact, there are two of them. Number one, it's in Barry. Now, if you don't live in Wales and you've never seen a BBC sitcom called Gavin and Stacey, this may not mean much, but it would be fair to say that Barry's got a bit of a chequered history. Once a favourite traditional British seaside destination, thanks to the golden sands of Barry Island, it's not what it was. Although, with house prices in nearby Cardiff going through the roof, many young house hunters are looking to Barry as a more affordable place to put down roots, so it's on the up and up, although it's still occasionally the punchline to a joke or two. So that's the first thing. The second is the good sheds are billed as an urban high street. Now, that to me is some sort of over-clever marketing bollocks. I mean, what is a high street if it isn't urban? But the answer lies in the positioning. It's less about the urban environment and more about the urban lifestyle. But is it all skinny jeans, vegan sourdough and kombucha? To find out, I'm going to take you on a tour of the Good Sheds before it opened and while it was still very much a building site, hence some of the background noise. We'll hear from a multi-million pounds international business which is opening its HQ there, a head teacher turned coffee shop owner, and a couple who gave up successful careers to handle meat, a lot of it. But first, we're going to start with Simon who will pop up at various intervals throughout as we continue our tour. But I had to start with the elephant in the room. The traditional high street 30, 40 years ago was based around retail, maybe a bank inside that and a hairdresser salon. That's now 
as good as it is, but that's not enough. It's simply not enough. We now, as I say, we have to offer everything. So it's an experience. So we, on this site, for example, we've got graphic designers, telecommunication, we've got accountants, we've got architects. Also, we've got niche retail, we've got bars, we've got six restaurants, we've got gelato, bakery. Uh, we've got world-class um, businesses that have decided to make this their home. So it needs that whole complex ecosystem changing. And the blend of businesses then, because presumably what you're looking for is with your graphic designers, the people that they're people that can yeah. a maybe help out the uh, exactly. you know the bars and the restaurants, but at the same yeah. time provide business to the bars and the restaurants because yeah. they're on site and you know always exactly. pop for a coffee, pop for a gelato, or sort of. Yeah. So it's a little ecosystem that you're building yeah. at the same time. Well, when we look how we live and work now, it's it's one big grey area. The nine to five model's gone. Really, people living and working is just one, as I mentioned, grey area. So what we want here is that the people will use, for example, uh, one of the restaurants here will buy off the fruit and veg and buy off the butcher. In the meantime, then, the butcher on our way will have something to eat here, maybe use one of the restaurants, tell his friends when they're down for the weekend to stay in the hotel. Suddenly they've got this ecosystem where everyone's working together and we're all supporting one another. When did, when did you spot this, uh, this groundswell of change then? Because this is not, this is not yeah. your first rodeo, I believe, no. is the... Uh... No, about five or six years ago, you could just see that people wanted a change. They, they wanted to reconnect with communities. They wanted an opportunity. You know, we can put restaurants outside here for £6,500 a year. You can run your own restaurant. You know, at that point, we get very innovative, very um, new uh, businesses that want to expand their horizons really quickly because they can afford it. So with that, then all of a sudden, you get a, a huge SME incubation place here where everybody's on the same journey. We're starting all together and we're all going to grow together. But if you were to charge someone in a restaurant 30000 40000 you already kill the innovative side to them because they've got to make so much to pay their service charge, their rates on top. Well, when I mentioned about the groundswell movement has already happened, it has because we need to restart and re-gear society in terms of our collaboration. So I, what was it like when you first got in through the doors then? Because I've, I've been told that inside this shed there were a load of old carriages and sort of sort of yeah. trucks and... So yeah, it was a 200 metre wasteland really, so we had... But we're, again, we're used to that and that wasn't a problem for us. So, you, you know, we converted, put the concrete floors in, converted the three commercial units. There's 11 apartments, they're beautiful above. They open this weekend for the first occupants to come and stay. And then we, one of the important things for us was at the end of the site, uh, we worked with, really well with Newith Housing Association. Great support with the local authority and Welsh government here has been brilliant because we wanted to make sure that Newith, in terms of their ethos and model, were part of the scheme mm. and they had they, and their social housing model had full opportunity to be part of the scheme. That's really important to us as well. So now it is, so that's a housing association, but the, yeah. with the you talk about their ethos and what is their ethos well, and what, what attracted you to them above others? Well, they are going to put inside here then offer 50% privately rented or privately purchased or 50% socially rented. And we feel that it's a really good balance and also people need an opportunity to be part of something like this and have these facilities near them. Why shouldn't they be stuck out three or four miles away from this opportunity isolated? Why can't they be inside you? So again, we feel as a social impact developer, it's important to be fully inclusive.
One of the tenants is Spectrum Collections. Now, this is a multi-million pound cosmetics firm founded by sisters Hannah and Sophie Pycroft. Spectrum is a phenomenon, a vivid coloured range of makeup brushes and other accessories which are stocked by the likes of Boots, Superdrug, ASOS and well, pretty much everyone. There's even a Spectrum Disney range, including, and I kid you not, a Cruella de Vil makeup brush. Surely such a firm would be better off basing itself in or around London then, but no, as I find out, when I took a tour of their new HQ before we popped outside to enjoy the sunshine and chat a bit more. This is, uh, this is nice, this is, uh, you, know, you can already see the, the space, there's a little paint everywhere, but... Uh, Oh, look at that floor! Yes. <laughs> that is the pinkest floor I've ever seen. Yeah, People have been saying it's like a mix between Teletubby custard and milkshake. <laughs> yes, you all have milkshake. I do, I do feel like you could dive in it. Yeah, yeah. Just get your straw out. Yeah, well, yeah, or that, yeah, one or the other, yeah. But, but yeah, you guys are going to stand on it? You're going to walk on it? Yeah, yeah you, can, think... you, can, you can walk on it in a moment. Now, I happen to know that you had a pop-up shop in London. Mm, we did. So you could have maybe gone there, but you, you haven't, but you, you have stayed here then. Yeah. Well, we live back, don't we? Yeah. Born and bred. <laughs> you can't, well, you can take, what's it? You can take the girl out of Barry, but you can't take Barry out of the girls. Yeah. Barry girls. Um, no, we did. We had the Carnaby shop in London for eight months. Eight months, yeah. Um, which was eye-opening and kind of made us realise that we didn't, we can't really, to base a business out of London is, is nigh on impossible, really, isn't it? Because yeah. it's just the turnover of staff and everyone, you know, down here we've got a really core team of people who are really invested in the brand as much as we are and we wanted to create a space that was amazing that they can all come to and feel really part of something and that's what we've done. Well what makes a Spectrum brush better than all the other brushes is <laughs> they're just for the price that they are you can't get better quality and consumers aren't stupid they know what they they know what a good brush is so when they get it I think what makes it so good is the fact that you see it on the internet you see it on Instagram and it looks really colourful and it looks really cute but then when you actually get it in real life you're you're even even more impressed away, with how yeah. good they are so then you kind of get the customer loyalty and the, and the recommendations and the word of mouth so it was quite an organic process really wasn't it yeah I mean originally when we we decided we were going to do makeup brushes and we did actually do some research all the brushes on the market at the time were um, brown boring they were made with animal hair as well because typically makeup brushes are made with horse hair sable hair um, and we didn't want to do that from the beginning so from the um, from the off, Spectrum has always been vegan and cruelty free, so we use synthetic hair, um, which is super soft and makes the makeup brush blend like a dream. Um, but no one was really doing that at the time, so it's nice that our origins have always stayed true. Um, and yeah, teamed with the amazing designs, we, we try and merge fashion and beauty, and that's something that we still always try and do. So, who does what then? This is a question we get a lot now, isn't we it? We do, yeah. We tend to do a lot of the same stuff. We do a lot of the, you know, like everything that we've done down here, we've done both both together and we consult each other on everything. But I tend to do more of the initial ideas, probably, at the stage where I'm like, oh, we should do something like this. Hmm. And then we'll sit down and talk about it. And then if we both then like it, we'll take it to the team and say, oh, we're thinking about doing this for summer next year. And then we'll go through the whole design process and I'll do a lot of that bit. And then when it actually comes to get, getting 
the product launched and getting it on the website and making sure it all works like a business that's where Han comes in and just tidies it all up and makes it ready to go really yeah so that's I, fair isn't it I tend to do more of the like the techie stuff really because I'm the more techie one it has to be a techie one so I'm the more techie one so for there's, the more... A, there's a thinker and a doer then yeah that's exactly. what we have yeah I would say I think that's a good that's actually really good yeah, yeah. I'll take that yeah you're very welcome <laughs> Um, this where we are then now in, here in Goodshed. Then you you were looking for somewhere close to home. You you already said you know you love Barry and this is where you wanted to be. Then what attracted you about this development in particular? Then other than Simon's quite tremendous beard. I mean, the, the rooftop, rooftop bar. Rooftop bar. <laughs> <laughs> Just in case we didn't see it clearly enough, the rooftop bar. That was number one on the list. That and wow. another academy. There's another yeah. academy there. Oh, there's Academy Coffee there yeah, as well, which oh. I'm, I'm very disappointed to see is not open. I know. Um, but uh, yet, but... Yet, opening this weekend. Opening this weekend, wow. So it's all coming together then. Was there a point, though, because I mean, obviously, you know, we are, what are we, four, five, I forget how many months we are into lockdown. Oh, yeah, Was there a point where you went, is this going to happen? Well... No, it, it was actually really good timing, wasn't it? Because yeah. we, we were speaking to Simon about the site. I think I was trying to think yesterday. I think it was like late last year or very beginning of this year. Because mm. um, we've been in touch with Simon on and off throughout the past couple of years anyway. Because he knows um, he lo- he knows and loves Spectrum just as as much as we do. Yes, he looks like the sort. Yes, yeah, yes, you know, he loves a bit of pink. Yeah. <laughs> um, and he's always, you know, he loves Barry as much as we do as well. So he knows that we started it in Barry and we, we wanted to come back to Barry. Um, so when he told us about the good sheds, we were like, oh, let's go have a look and, and see what it's all about. And then when it all started to come together and he was talking about like the urban high street and all the, the restaurants that are going to go in, the boutique shops, we were like, oh, that's a bit of us. We've just got to get there, haven't we? And then he dropped the rooftop bar in and we were like, yeah, where do we sign? Sign, yeah. sign immediately, yeah. <laughs> What was impact? What was COVID impact business-wise for you guys then, uh, in terms of sales revenue, that sort of thing? At the beginning, it was all panic. It was really, because um, no one knew what was going on. So we had the accountants on the phone to us, the bank on the phone to us, people we've never met on the phone to us, just saying, you okay, you okay? And we were like, bloody hell, are we okay? I don't know. Yeah. So we were like, okay, let's just go see what happens. And really what happened at the very beginning is all our, our, our biggest accounts dried up overnight. So the high street dried up overnight, didn't it? So Boots and Superdrug, who were our two biggest, just basically just fell off the face of the earth yeah. in terms of orders. And they're worth about 100 to 150, 200 grand a month to us. So that was like a huge dip in revenue instantly. And we also don't get paid for those orders until three months later. So luckily we had a, we had a back of a bank of orders due like payments due from previous orders but what happened then is with with everyone being at home they all started ordering our our revenue our direct sales increased by over 100 percent versus last year so that helped fill a gap for us so yeah we were we were short weren't we on what we would have been taking yeah i mean it, like Soph said originally you're kind of like whoa what what's going on like what do we do with this so i mean we all started working from home the second week of March before you were told to we kind of just said like let's just work from home and kind of see how it pans out but 
Um, luckily, we have got such a strong direct customer base and we started um, with the website just selling direct to consumers. So um, people, I think because lockdown has been a bit drab, it's been a bit miserable, people are kind of staying at home, bored. Um, make treat themselves. Yeah, makeup is actually one of the areas where people are kind of spending more time practicing and making themselves feel a bit better if they like, you know, practicing their blend. Yeah. So luckily for us, direct sales have been um, really strong and it's been a, a really, really good time for us to reconnect with our customers and kind of just take time to step back and focus on the bigger picture and where we want to go as a brand rather than just squirreling squirreling away at the day-to-day boring stuff so it's been i've quite enjoyed lockdown yeah we overall it's been a positive experience for us because like han said we've had had to take time to look at the bigger picture we lost a load of orders we had to look at our margins so we've strengthened the business Mm. everyone loves our online shop anyway whereas a lot of other much bigger brands have had to really pivot to try and get this direct consumer like base connection mm. we already had that and it's just gotten stronger and now what we want to do is continue to build that and put more focus and energy into that which was what we've done over the last three four five months and not so much time and energy into the into the other brands really who we service like the big retailers we we actually can do all right on our own so we're just going to try and stand better on our own two feet really yeah what about supply line then has that been disrupted at all it was at the beginning wasn't it ours yeah because our, our brushes are made in in china so actually we were more affected in like december jan feb when it was like really rife in china which was chinese new year which is feb mm. Um, but I mean, really, considering how like global the pandemic has been, we were only knocked on by about a month. We yeah. were delayed by a month, which yeah. in the grand scheme of things is absolutely nothing. So our supply chains are all really strong. Um, I mean, luckily, our warehouse managed to keep fulfilling and packing orders. Um, otherwise, that would have been a real struggle for us because we wouldn't have been able to continue with the online. Mm. So actually, it's it's been been good been good it's been fine yeah really good yeah overall thumbs up yeah there is a um in the very first edition of this podcast we spoke to coincidentally it's a couple of ladies they've got a place i think just down there Mm. the good wash oh yeah uh mandy and kelly kelly was the very first person on this podcast yeah and one of the things that we talked about was whether or not in wales we sort of we hold ourselves back mm. whether we it's difficult to you know whether we, we we're either risk averse or or we don't shout about what we do enough, enough. yeah is that something that you, you can relate to uh, you know it's not about it's not about saying we're all useless it's it's more about understanding and realizing the potential i think well yeah the thing is with being from Wales like you know no one ever said to us oh girls you want to start your own business you want to do this you want to do that it had to be us kind of doing it for ourselves didn't it yeah I I mean everyone because because we were both um we both studied like creative subjects so I did media production as a degree and you did photography and I think being in the creative industries in particular especially in Wales you either work for the BBC and you can't do that unless you speak Welsh Mm. um or you you know you're more likely to get a job if you can speak Welsh neither of us can speak Welsh um, so we've always kind of made our own path because you know I, I struggled to find a company or a role that interested me enough that I wasn't I don't know I was I, whenever I was working I was always thinking I could do better I could do better than this and the person above me isn't going to listen to my ideas and I know it's better than what they're going to do so yeah we've always been really driven to to do our own thing yeah but you, you have got to have that self-belief though and I do think that's something that 
it's great for young people in Wales as well, and even slightly older people. There's no age limit on when you can start your own business. But I think having, not necessarily not saying that we're necessarily role models, but I know a lot of people do look to us if they've got a question or if they if they need an answer or even if they're just unsure about something. And I think people are quite unsure of themselves really when it comes to starting a business. And it, yeah. I think usually it does take someone who's done it to say, oh yeah, no, actually that's a really good idea. You should go for it. Or maybe just wait a year and people one question I had the other day was oh, how long did it take you until you gave up your other jobs and just went full-time spectrum and it did take three and a half years yeah more or less it took a long time so at least we can give people a dose of realism yeah but that's one thing that I think this place is going to be like a beacon of oh yeah if you if you do go for it and you work hard enough you can actually achieve something and you can you don't have to go to London you can stay in Wales and hopefully will retain a lot more talent in Wales and yeah that's what I was going to say like we were always told or it was always kind of honed into you that unless you moved to London you wouldn't be able to do a career or a job that you were really passionate about and that was creative and that's something that we never really wanted to do because we're proper homebirds aren't we like we love being together that's why we the businesses and, and the roles that we've done previously when we've worked for ourselves we've always tried to work together so starting spectrum and, and doing it together was always on the on the cards in some way or another mm. um but yeah i do think um wales is quite modest really yeah that's um, the word. we're modest people we get that a lot though you know people say to us all the time you're so humble we had a call the other day with a lady who used to work at bobby brown for 20 years an estee lauder an estee lauder yeah. um and she was like you're so modest and but they're used to probably people being the big i am and you know i think wales should be a bit more like that because we're bloody talented yeah Wales <laughs> Wales is full of super talented super creative super passionate people mm. we're just two of them there's there's hundreds of thousands more yeah. come on guys I know get out there <laughs> how many units then well, on the main red brick building, we've got three, so... Which is where we are now, then, yeah. this is walking down the main red brick. Yeah, Spectrum we've just uh, interviewed. In the middle end is James Summer and Restaurant. And on the end is Craft Republic, which is a specialist ales, wine, takeaway bottle type shop. Really yeah. cool. Above the building here is 11 service departments, four two-bedders, seven one-bedders. It's meant for the transient tourist, business worker, People come see family and friends because the batteries develop really quickly. Often amenities don't develop with it at the same time. So we need a place here where people can stay for short term, well, or long term, it doesn't really matter. But it's um, it, it fully furnished, have an excellent standard, and we're hoping that we're gonna have a lot of diverse sort of stay. Uh, being, um, you know, nosy and it's a little bit vulgar, how much does this cost? To buy or to do the work? To do, to do the work, to do it's all this. Yeah, well, between the, the development at the end, it's around about an eight and a half to nine million pound project. That's quite substantial. Well, it is, and that's why we need lots of businesses in here, in, in, in reality, given lots of different income streams, or we could never make this work. Because in isolation, or just looking at one sort of section, maybe retail, maybe A3 sort of pub type uh, bars, none of it works on its own anymore. We literally need all of it thrown at it. And um, I mean, you were talking earlier about, um, um, you know, you can, you've got plans for a uh, sort of like pop-up offices, so you could run your business for yeah, 4,500 sure. grand. You can have a yeah. restaurant unit for about six and a half grand. You can run your yeah. business for about six and a half grand. You know, 
those margins have got to be quite small then when you're talking about a development that's yeah. eight and a half. Absolutely. We've had some help um, here uh, from in terms of a land value from the Housing Association. There's been some help for an interest-free loan from Welsh Government via the Vale of Morgan, which has been really useful. I think though what we need in these places is a lot of diversity, 40 or 50 different types of tenants. And then between them all, um, we're actually a lot safer nowadays in terms of losing someone because the traditional model where you'd have uh, perhaps you know two or three anchor tenants is very difficult now. And when you lose one of those tenants and that tenant's gone, it's actually really difficult to bring the, the scheme back on track. Let's go back to this, this, this element of individuality, of creating yes. a, a, an ecosystem where um, you know, people are feeding off, not feeding yeah. off or supporting each other, Absolutely, but yeah. at the same time, you know, you don't want to be beholden to large brands, which would be, that would be an easy, short, Always. short, yeah. a quick win, if you like, yeah. but longer term. Well, I, I think that it would devalue the, the brand, it would devalue what the community wants here in Barry, because it's an independent town, as is lots of the towns in Wales, and they, you know, they need to, they want to re-identify with their independence and they want to re-identify with the local communities. So I, don't, I think that wouldn't, just wouldn't work. As I said, it's probably more valuable to start with. But again, you know, we like to stress ourselves as a, a you know, social impact developer that our value is different to um, you know, what the immediate pound notes we receive. The value for us is a long-term commitment here and, and a long-term project that uh, you know, the community will everyone get behind. When did, where did these values come from then? What, what makes you more focused on the, the social impact than about... Because I'm, I'm presuming then, yeah. if you were to build this from scratch, if this was empty, yeah, you wouldn't be looking at eight and a half million. It would be yeah. much cheaper. It would be a lot... Yeah. It, wouldn't, yeah. it wouldn't look like this for one thing. It would well, just be a straight would, sort of... Yeah, you're right. It would always be cheaper. But when you build, and a lot of developers, large developers build from scratch, it's quite bland. It's the cheapest level of material you've got. It's not really innovative, it's not exciting, it's not different. Whereas here, it's got lots of different layers you can unpeel all the time, lots of different types of layers of interest, where you wouldn't see that on a new development. And would a new development ever have this attention, this detail, and this level of engagement with their tenants? I doubt it. No, they're smashed up, aren't they? Yeah, they are. It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a, you know, a stack of high, sell them on, that sort of thing. It's yeah. that approach. Um, and the day of especially owners of developments or um, you know, institutional funds and, and the passive investors as well because you know, as you can see I'm standing in the middle, I know every single person's on the site, work with every single person and, and my son works for me as well, you know, that's his role, is for us to be able to micromanage the situation on an hour by hour, not daily basis. I'm Jan Morgan, I'm the owner of Academy Coffee, and we're just in the process of setting up the drive-through here in the Good Sheds. A drive-through? A drive-through coffee then? Yeah. Is it your first drive-through? Absolutely. Okay, then um, why, why, uh, the, um, why embracing the drive-through model then? It was actually way before the Covid stuff, because I know a lot of people have, have gone, you know, jumped on that with the Covid. Um, pandemic but but actually we decided we decided we were going to do it way way back you know over 18 months ago 
Um, just because we thought it'd be a really cool thing to have here in Barry. Um, obviously, there are some other drive-throughs opening up. We won't talk about those um, down the road. Um, but we thought about it ages and ages ago. We just just thought it would be something a bit interesting, a bit different. Um, I think we can open early morning, which we can't do in our shop. So we're going to be open from 7 a.m. For the commuters, we're right by a train station. So there are obviously a lot of commuters from, from Barry who hopefully will appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then tell me a bit about Academy then, because this is not the only Academy. There are other Academies. There are, yeah. So we've got our main or our first bar is Academy Espresso Bar, which is in the Pump House across the road from here, which is a big cafe bar open um, Thursday, Friday, Saturdays into the evening as well. So it's kind of well known for its street food. We already were having a lot of street food over there. Um, and it's a, a popular venue for cocktails and, and beers in the evenings. But it's a, a very, very busy um, cafe just in the day. Uh, coffee, brunch, that kind of thing. Um, we've also opened a, a sister version of it in Platform, which is literally off the train station in Cardiff Bay. As you get off the train station there, it's, it's right a bit there. tucked away. It's a bit of a sort of hidden gem, we like to think. And, and lots of people are discovering it and we're getting really good reviews about that. Very important to us that our coffees have a really high standard. We use Clifton Coffee, uh, roasted over in, in Bristol, um, but they're all local guys, guys that live in Wales, um, and a, a, a great support service. They're over to us all the time, and yeah. they keep a, they, they maintain the quality, the standard of the, the coffee. So I think that's really important to us. And we're also opening a rooftop bar on the, the top of the good sheds as nice, well. Nice, nice. So, a lot like, happening. Oh, he's just, uh, is it straight? Right. So, uh, a guy's just come up and uh, measured the uh, the serving hatch. Um, it's but, all uh, happening yeah, around it's, us. It is. It's literally all happening around us. I believe. Go on, mate. Sorry, guys. And it's way more important in this uh, whole scenario. And the internal measurements on the. They've been so brilliant working. With us. So hard for them, I think. Three hundred and seventy-seven to be exact. Um, He's taking a lot of time with that. What, what's, what's going on here then? Is there a? It's just a scaffold board. Oh right. Okay. It's gonna yeah be a bit. It just looks all a bit. I mean it's a bit dangerous. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, the yeah, yeah. There and yeah. Stuff, isn't it? yeah. Oh, okay nice. So it wasn't always coffee for you, was it? Oh no, I've done. I was a. I started off my career as a nurse. Well, I worked in hospitality. I worked in um, local pubs here really for for many years. Then I did some nursing and I trained as a nurse and then I trained as a teacher and was a head teacher for a few years. So I've done quite a lot of different sort of very public facing, all my roles public facing. Yeah. Um, and very different. And then and then what happened? Uh, it's my brother really, you know, he's uh, Simon, uh, who's the developer of the Good Sheds. Yeah, so, so, so for transparency purposes then, uh, Simon and Jan are, they are brother and sister and it's not, you know, I, I, I had to ask, do you get a family rate? A rate on things like rent and things. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely yeah, yeah, yeah. not. It's a real bone of contention. No, I think he's worse with me than anyone else. He puts mine up because he knows I'll pay it. I won't argue. Outrageous. Well, <laughs> okay, so, um, sibling rivalry side. Uh, so, um, Simon was obviously going, doing what he was yeah. doing then and then what happened? The then? owners you, you of Academy Espresso wanted to sell. Two years ago, they wanted to sell. Um, they were, had various other plans. Um, they're involved in moving out of the area and they wanted to sell um, and I'd always loved going there I mean we were we were big fans of the place and for a long time really Simon had been saying you know let's do something else I mean without doubt a head teacher is a, is a very very difficult job I loved it and I, I loved working with children and I love but it is quite stressful there's no getting away from it 
um, and I fancied a change and I suppose because I'm the sort of person who has changed career quite a few times it, it didn't seem such a, a massive leap as perhaps it, you know, it, might have, it might sound like it's a big leap it didn't seem like that um, it is a big leap, though. Lots of transferable skills, though. Well, I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Surprising, you know. It's uh, it's been. It hasn't. W- was been it a surprise? Well, was it a surprise that when you got into, it, you thought, actually, yes, I can apply this, 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 and this. Not really. I'm not sort of. You know, I'm a fairly adaptable person. I think again, those skills that have been fine tuned over the years, you know, actually have allowed me to be adaptable. And and I and I sort of thought I could do it. Yeah, I don't know inflated ego or something I don't know well finally I mean we were talking to the uh, I was talking to the Spectrum girls earlier what they were talking about was belief and confidence in what you can do and sometimes you know people hold back or you know they don't maybe want to take that risk or they're not confident enough they're going to carry it through I think for me coming from a family of just business people really I suppose there'd always been that niggling thing I'd always work for, for you know NHS or or just government bodies and I just thought I fancy doing something for myself as well something that I can make good um, and we're very very lucky that we've got a, a, a set of people who are, it's very unusual in the coffee world not to have a huge turnover of staff but we have really good retention and I think it's because it is a family business because we have a laugh because it is a bit fun you talk to any of the staff you know they, they love working with us and, and when we've a We've applied now for um, some new positions. People are desperate to work for us because they know it's a it's a nice place to work. And I knew I think that I could develop that in that way. And I think yeah. that's really important. So, what particular challenges have you found then? What, what, what is there anything that you've come across that you thought of, I wasn't ready for that or I wasn't expecting that? Is there anything that you look back on and go, um, that's that was a painful lesson to learn? Not massively. No, no. I mean, there are on a daily basis there'll be things like this painting I did. I wish I hadn't done it. I just put um, some masking tape on, and the masking tape's ripped all the paint off the walls. Little, little things like that. No major, no major things. Nothing, certainly nothing in the realms of previous roles that I've done that I feel like you know, if, you're adapting on a daily basis. You know, something changes every day. Staffing or, or, or people like can't come in, or there's an issue that you need to deal with. But it's, it's no different to anything I've had before. So there's nothing been that's completely side. Sort of, you know, taking me, taking the, the, the sort of my legs away from me or anything, no. And uh, finally, and most important question, is your coffee any good? It's gorgeous, yeah. Is no, it? Our coffee is delicious. We're going to well, find out any second now, now aren't you? So. Yeah, no. Um, we're really proud of our coffee because we really take it very seriously. Everybody has to go over and be trained by the baristas over in Clifton Coffee. Um, they all know we've got our own specialist coffee now, which has been kept to a really high level, so we know that it's a really good standard coffee. It's called Apas, and it's just we're the only place that has Apas from this region in Brazil. Uh, a collective of, of growers that are um, run by families and by women as well. It's a really it's a brilliant backstory. That's another story we could talk about at, at length. Um, but we're really quite proud Let's of that. Bit, that we, so obviously, there's a um a sustainable element there, uh, 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 or a sustainable. Oh, Clifton are very, yeah. They uh, they would through, take, yeah. Clifton absolutely. through you through Simon. Then there is this this belief. Same sustainability, yeah, yeah. We really, and that is a problem at the moment. That is because everything is disposable. Um, that is really getting to everybody. You know, we're a, a a group of people that work there who all very much believe in in that kind of ethos and I think that is something that we are really desperate to get away from we're hoping as we move indoors this week if we get some direction about that this week from from government that we can we can move away from the disposable side of things because you know that 
that is something that we've always tried to avoid. We've always really encouraged reusable cups. We give 20% pence off if you use a reusable cup. We've always done that. Um, and loads of other initiatives that we've got we've got in place like that. Everything we buy is recyclable or reusable, you know, anything. But it's, even though it's recyclable or reusable, it's, it's still not right. It's still not the right way to, to go. You know, it shouldn't be. We shouldn't be putting everything in any kind of dump, whether it's recyclable or not, you know. So it's trying to be more sustainable all round. There is a strong, sustainable thread running through this family, and a faint whiff of high-quality coffee as well. The Good Sheds is not Loftco's first renovation project. Across the road is the Pump House, another industrial-age edifice brought back into use, and which is now home to one of the country's top barbecue restaurants. Nearby, in Cardiff, a crumbling tram shed is now a live music venue, city centre accommodation and a painfully trendy co-working office space. In Cardiff Bay, the former Cardiff Docks train station building, designed by Isambard Kingdom Brunel no less, was a dilapidated eyesore and on the UK's most at-risk historical buildings register. It is now a modern office block with an Academy coffee tagged onto the side. Bringing grand or even the not-so-grand buildings back into use is neither easy nor is it cheap, which is why most building firms avoid them. So I wanted to know how Simon picks his projects. First thing we look at a building, which is, again, uh, for any sort of budding developers, if they want to be a developer, it's probably not the right way. We have to fall in love with it. We have to fall in love with the building. Or on another route, it's the right way. We have to just look at it and go, this is beautiful, this is, you know, something like the pump house, when it's lit up in the evening, it's majestic how it stands there. The Jennings on the, right out on the edge of the water there in, in Porthcourt, you know, those buildings are stunning. So for us, we can be seduced by a very nice looking building. <laughs> uh, but, so that's that's one of our starting points for us is. But I think that that's, that's okay then, because it makes you want to care for it. Yeah. You know, you don't feel like, um, Otherwise, you'd look at it and you'd go, um, maybe you wouldn't go, oh, I'll keep the facade or I'll just level it because I like the plot. You know, you, yeah. if you if you have that connection for it, then you'll want to see it breathing, yeah. if you like. Well, I think we, as a society, we react and to buildings and we they're, they're an important part of our life that we subliminally don't realise. Um, like the pump house in Barry has uh, is, is now become part of the fabric of the way of life for people here and it's a, it's a, you know, people will say I'll see you at the pump house, turn right to the pump house, go south of the pump house, that's where the beaches are. It's a, it's a reference point and we don't, I don't think we respect or understand how much these buildings mean to us. We would, we would if we lost them. Let's meet Meet and Greek, or at least Sophie and Lysandros from Meet and Greek, they do meet in a very Greek way, and that's pretty much it. But it is bloody lovely. Sophie gave up a job in HR for the Welsh Government for this, which is completely understandable, while Lysandros was a lawyer. For five years, they've been doing the rounds on the festival circuit before deciding to put down roots at the Gudsheds. They were supposed to be getting married this year, but sadly that's gone by the wayside. I wanted to find out though, what it was like working and living together 24-7, whether it was the end of the road for the festival scene for them, and why the future of meat and Greek may mean less meat, but still plenty of Greek. We 
started as a very small pop-up and we started attending and we got invited to many events and festivals. We were started in his parents' kitchen actually. So God, God love his mother, you know, we absolutely wrecked her kitchen, skewering chicken, making hummus. With his dad, actually, his dad's a massive part of the business, Stavros. Um, you'll often, you've probably seen him at all the festivals, like Tavo. I think I might have, yeah, He, he yeah. looks very professional, he knows what he's doing. Um, I agree. Couldn't you need, you need somebody who looks that then, you know. <laughs> you know, he's been like completely integral, like, and our whole family has been to everything we've done, especially in the early days when we weren't really sure, you know, what we were doing. And then... Um, yeah, so jacked in the day, day jobs, did the, did the pop-ups and then festivals after festivals after festivals. The last five years we haven't looked up really, you know, it's quite a hectic lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the first summer that we've not been, you know, at events and our lives have been our own in a weird way. Obviously, because of COVID, everyone's lives have completely changed the last few months. So we've kind of had a bit of a shock, you know, as everyone else has in terms of what we're doing and what... What, yeah, we're going to, to do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we've had to adapt. I mean, we're, we're quite lucky, really, to be a part of this development. This sort of, for us personally, came at the right time. You know, we couldn't have imagined something like COVID coming along, but we had... So the event side of the business has obviously been absolutely trashed. Overnight. Overnight. Lost um, all of our income, literally, within two days. All the emails, cancellation, cancellation, cancellation. And kind of the, the gravity of that was quite big so we're like gosh if we didn't have the good shed come in what on earth like would we have done Um, yeah absolutely yeah we were lucky in that respect but you know again on the positive side of things it's allowed us to completely focus all of our energies into making this an absolute success um you know we're really excited to be a part of this it's such a cool development this like like we were saying earlier it's a full microclimate of independent businesses from around Wales. We live in Barry as well. So we moved to Barry five years ago and we've I personally didn't know much about the area before I moved here and, and I've just fallen in love with it. So ever since I got here and to be a part of this, which is the first of its kind. Yeah, and for Barry is just incredible. Like lots of my friends and um, are thinking of moving to the area, like people my age, you know what I mean, young families. Um, and the fact that we get to walk five minutes and be in work is just amazing, really, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So is it, is it end of life on the road then? Is this, this, is this, is this the future? No, well, there, there was always a loose plan to... The plan was to build the brand and then look to see where we were going to go. We didn't want to put a strict sort of three to five year business plan on what we were doing because it was relatively informal when we and started organic it. as well we never thought beyond that first pop-up whether we'd ever do it again you completely know? organic we, we we rocked up with a couple of tables there's a queue around the corner and you know we, we it didn't come from nothing because we knew there was a demand from the for this food because we the only way we get this type of food was making it in our garden so Lissandros is the Greek Cypriot, by the way. Do you know? I, <laughs> I was wondering, um, you know, but I didn't, you know, I, I had a feeling, but I wasn't going to, you know, pro. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, you know, I thought, I thought that that would come out organically. Um, so, so well, yeah, you, you realised that there was no Greek street food in this country. And at you the thought, time, well, it, yeah, at the time at the there time, was like one, I think. There was nothing in Cardiff, really. Maybe like one, I can't remember. Yeah, a couple of restaurants in Cardiff. And but they were was, kind of dated as well. There was no street food, certainly. Um, and, 
yeah, we just sort of saw that and thought, you know, there's a distinct lack of this and we really do think that people will be receptive to it. So we just went off with a bang and we just... We certainly rode... The, the, we were right place, right time in terms of street food becoming... A thing. You know, the, a thing, yeah. Down in, here. In, in Wales. And then, like I said, we, we just said yes to everything. At the gate, we were like, do you want to do this event? Yes. Do you want to do this wedding? Yes. Do you we just said yes to it all. And... You know, we, we sort of splattered ourselves over the scene in Wales, and then um, that's that's not a good um, expression. Oh gosh, <laughs> <laughs> scattered. 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 That's what I probably meant to say. Yeah, yeah. Scattered. Let's go with scattered. We'll yeah, we'll edit that one out. Yeah. <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so you scattered. We scattered. We scattered. Yeah. Um, we spread. No, that's scattered not good. Scattered is good. So you're watching everything you say now, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> Basically, you, you you tried to get to as much as you could to uh, I don't know build yeah, a brand, exactly. understand the business, understand your audience. I'm assuming that that sort of thing is happening organically as you're Definitely. meeting these people, gathering feedback. Does, does that then affect uh, recipes, products? Then you know what? Absolutely, the, absolutely, everything. everything. Literally, like from how to, how how on earth do we erect the sign for this event? Then like cable ties, uh, forward. Like I know it sounds so silly, but like you come into you can when you when we started we were so naive in a way like we literally we were learning on the job so like things like erecting a sign or what happens when it's windy and you've got a tent and you know cooking <laughs> the food was the easiest part Definitely. because it's something we knew and that was the whole reason we sort of threw ourselves into it because we we know it yeah um, is it an ancient greek cypriot recipe or uh, is it I feel like you definitely, meat, definitely. meat on a stick over fire is a, an ancient recipe for like stuff. Yeah, that is, yes. You know? yes. <laughs> Pre-caveman uh, period style cooking. But you've definitely um, kept like the authenticity. Like we, We're cooking over charcoal, which, you know, I don't know if it's obvious if you're not in, in the trade, but it's not an easy uh, task, especially on mass at festivals, you know, to keep that going. But we just think the taste of cooking over charcoal is unrivaled. Like, and we want to keep that authenticity. Absolutely, yeah. We're, we're typically Cypriot in the way that we approach things with our souvlaki. I mean, you go to Greece and you'll get the little wraps. Uh, we're, we're the Cypriot pita bread, generally speaking. We are a mixture of the two cuisines because um, they are very similar. But predominantly, the way the style that we serve it is uh, Cypriot from Cyprus, which is where we're from. So yeah, um, you got the rotisseries and the charcoal, you know, fresh lemon juice. Like there are slight uh, ch- variations in the cuisines, aren't there? Yeah, but the principle is meat very fresh. <laughs> meat on a stick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very fresh meat on a stick. Yeah. And very fresh ingredients, cooked very simply. Um, and we're actually, we're very thankful to, um, you know, Simon and Lofko and the Good Jets because they've been really great. They've worked, you know, tirelessly to make us, allow us to sort of have what we've got here um, and retain, you know, our element of charcoal, which we know is a pain, <laughs> uh, but it's worth it. And it's the whole theatre for the customers and what have you. Yeah, so let's just go through it a little bit here. So we are in your premises then and we're stood next to, there's a big counter here and there's a uh, a big iron uh, house type structure held up by a safety helmet there which that, that, that looks sophisticated. sophisticated and secure and then we got what i'm assuming are massive extractor fans right here Absolutely. so you are you're going to have naked flames indoor which is i'm assuming is required a lot of infrastructure to make sure that they stay where oh, they're supposed that's to that's a beast right there yeah that is 
absolutely the proper deal there. The, the, the whole reason for retaining these windows and having the layout like this was so that we'd have the the chefs would all be on display to yeah. anybody that comes into this courtyard so if you walk past you will see it all happening you'll be see it you'll see it happening you'll see the rotation of the meat you'll see the flames so we really wanted people to connect with how fresh it was okay and I, I think part of the reason people come if they haven't seen this before at, at a festival or event they can smell it they can see it they want it do you know what i mean um, yeah and i think that I can relate that to that. Visual is important because yeah. some people may not know what a souvlaki is, and they'll just like, "But I want, I want that." I want me on a stick. Yeah. <laughs> How is working and being together then? How do you separate? How do you go home and leave the meat at the door? So I'll say, um, it's taken us this long to figure it out. To figure it out. Yeah. So. You're so busy plugging all your time and energy into everything that you initially, or we found, that there's no on or off button. So you do take your, home, your, your work home with you. It all merges into one. You argue, you fight, then you realise it's not worth it and the cycle and repeats itself. And it's a common itself. goal at the end of the day as well. That's, that's, the, that's underpins okay. everything. So yeah. you may not agree at the time, but you both agree with the fact that you're, doing, you're working towards... Absolutely. What, what you're working future, towards yeah. is is what you share between you. So, Absolutely. if you can if you can hold on to that, then then you can sort out everything else. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the reality is, there's work there to be done. And if you don't do it or we don't do it, it's not going to get done. Yeah. It's not like oh well, we'll drop that task. I'll finish it later. Like you have to do it. So yeah, no one's going to do it for there's, you. There's that compulsion yeah. there as well. So you learn how to to do it, and then. When you get better at what you do and you discover all the methods... And you, you find great people who, you know, can help you and, you know, you hire share great the people. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, I mean, it was just, it was just us, my, you know, my dad and my grandmother, a couple of, you know, my mum and brother. Friends and family would come Friends and family, in, so you know. sp- brother, etc. Uh, in the beginning, um, to you know, 30-odd people on payroll in the summer who were just jumping in and out of festivals... Um, so that was a huge change for us, but then that was temporary. So the difference with this here, this is per- now permanent. So it's again, even though this is not a case of open your doors and serve a thousand people, it's very different because it's static um, and it's every day and it's fixed hours. Um, but yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sure we'll do that. I'm not convinced about that answer. Are you? <laughs> There's an element of trial and error here, but I feel like we've got this. (laughs) Your your turn. Okay. Um, Like Lissandra said, you know, it's only uh, until recently I think we found a bit more balance in our life again. And I certainly think the lockdown has reminded us of that as well, because it's the first summer where we've sat in a garden of a Saturday and not been in a field in North Wales or something, you know, sweating and stinking like food yeah. yeah so um we have said like like you asked earlier our event is this us now are the events going to continue if they are allowed to continue i think we will continue with them but perhaps we'll have more of a separate uh, so perhaps Lissandros will be at the events and i'll be here so we will have that kind of separation like we won't be spending every minute of every day with each other we'll have different roles we'll come back you know how was your day again not i know what your day was like because i was with you so um like you know, 
and I'll occasionally say to you, you know, oh, let's not talk about work now. You know, yeah. six six o'clock. Let's just let's just watch TV. Let's just, just watch trash telly. Yeah, let's, so yeah, it, it's definitely something we've adapted to. Yeah. It took it took a while. What is the future of Meet and Greek then? We're really excited. We're, we're almost seeing this as the start of a new beginning. Um, the events and festivals, like so said, are going to stay because that's who we are. It's just, we'll see what happens with, you know, COVID, etc. Um, but certainly we've got some really cool plans for the future. Um, we're starting here. In our hometown. In our hometown. Um, and yeah, we're not going to give too much away, but this is the beginning for us now. I'm so very excited. Uh, very excited. So what will you be ordering when you come in? Chicken, pork, halloumi, vegan? Because we're going to be doing a vegan option as well, actually. I'm intrigued by the vegan. I have a vegetarian <laughs> daughter and we are trying to find something. Because okay. she's a reluctant vegetarian. Because she still... Does she like cheese? Halloumi cheese? No. Oh, no. No, it really doesn't. No. Oh, no. So, um, <laughs> so if you can work along with something like that. She, she is more of a corn corn or corn chilli kind of uh, girl. So if you can, oh, nice. uh, you know. Okay. Sit that in a wrap, she'd be bloody well up for that. Interesting. <laughs> and it would make my life very peaceful because <laughs> I wouldn't have to. So you won't be ordering the vegan option yourself then? Well, you know. I never say never. What I have, think I have discussed uh, uh, or uh, discovered is that I don't mind vegetarian food and I don't mind the, um, and I feel sort of almost ashamed to admit it in present company, but the, um, the Greg's vegan sausage roll. I, mean, I haven't actually sure. tried it. Do you know what? There's a place for everything. Like, who doesn't love a Greg's? Like, you're lying if you don't like, say you don't In like particular, Greg's. the vegan sausage roll. Yeah, it's, it's very popular, isn't it? It's flying around everyone. It is, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and it is, it is acceptable. You just have to think, it's not a sausage roll, it's a vegan sausage roll. So you have to change your perception a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Well, yeah. I think ours is going to be is going to be a meat substitute, and you know, because we're known for our, you know, I, I don't like to use the word kebabs, but you know, a souvlaki, and so I think it's going to be. Uh, we want the vegan um, experience to be as you know wholesome mm. and good as the meat or vegetarian one. So yeah. we're gonna we're we're thinking potentially seitan or. Um, Something along so, those lines. Like a, what is it? Uh, not the soya. Is it soya? Uh, is that is, yeah. yeah. Some kind of. We've we've got we've done a few trials um, a couple of weeks ago, but we haven't nailed it yet. Mm-hmm. I know we're three weeks. We want it to be tasty. We uh, want it to be right. Yeah. Oh, thank heavens! <laughs> thank heavens! You want it to be tasty because you know if you if that was not high on your list of priorities. <laughs> okay, the way I was meant to come out with that. <laughs> was um, I think there's lots of vegan options out there. It's much better now, nowadays, but there's lots and lots of vegan options out there which are just boring and flavourless. Mm-hmm. And I just think, why should that be the case? Shouldn't be the case. So, you know, we're we going to bring something right. to the menu which is, you know, really, really... It sits up there with yeah. our current Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's not a compromise. No. Yeah. We offer a different form of value, so we would offer, as you can see here, 30 new businesses. We're gonna, we've created 200 new jobs. That's worth four million to the Welsh economy. So that's where the value is. And I have to say lots of local authorities and Welsh government in particular, um, see, see it that way. And it's, and, and it's, it's enlightening. It's, they see it in that, um, that there are different ways to measure value. 
And the other one that we, you know, that they are starting to measure more, which I'm really pleased, is is that the social and mental health and well-being of people. Um, we, we live in a society where we rely on an Amazon package or our phone to buzz every two seconds. It's soulless to a lot of people, and it's a and a mental health and well-being is really an issue. Whereas if you come to a place like this and, and you re-engage with the community, you buy your flowers, you buy your fruit and veg, you buy from the butcher, you have something to eat you, you work above, then you might start your little makers and uh, or go on makers classes for the weekend where you make your glass bowl or your, your timber bowl or you uh, sew a new dress. All of a sudden, your self-worth and, and your feeling about yourself and re-engagement has just gone off the scale. And I think this is the important part of these independent collaboratives, is bringing people back to re-communicate and re-engage. Because it, people are lonely. I know they've got 722 friends, everybody on Facebook, and but the reality is they probably haven't got someone they can call half the time. Whereas if you're part of this community, suddenly you've got friendship, you've got support, you know, we're all working to the end goal together. What the Good Sheds is then is many things. It is a community first and foremost. Tenants have been chosen specifically to offer something different to visitors and to each other. In that sense then, it's also a mini ecosystem, encouraging collaboration and creativity. It's also an experience. It wants to offer you something different, something you can't get anywhere else. Simon has deliberately eschewed the major chains in favour of small businesses offering a high quality local alternative. But will it catch on? Simon's expecting a million visitors through the doors per year, ambitious enough without even taking into account the continuing uncertainty around coronavirus. This will be the Good Shed's biggest test of its community, of its ecosystem, and the paint is barely dry. It's a bold and innovative experiment to start the high street from scratch and not even in the high street, but the ingredients seem to be there. The loyalty and love for the good sheds is certainly there from its tenants, despite the, I'm doing air quotes, urban marketing twaddle, I find myself really wanting it to succeed. It deserved to, because it's doing something completely different, and it's in Barry. That's it for this edition of the Accidental Startup Podcast. I hope you really enjoyed it. And if you did, it would be most wondrous and joyous if you were to show your love by giving us a great rating on your podcast provider. And if you subscribe while you're there, each and every boutique urban handcrafted episode will be delivered to you in an organic and fair trade way. The Accidental Startup Podcast is an Eat Sleep Media production. It's hosted by Anchor, and the music in this episode can be found on Artlist. <laughs>